Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. And the word of the Lord reads... And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. The 19th century Scottish minister Robert Murray McShane once wrote, The Christian is a person who makes it easy for others to believe in God. I want to tell you about a man named Troy. Troy was just an average man. He grew up in an average home. His parents had an average income. He was the youngest of three children, and he, he was an average high school kid. Got average grades, right? And did average high school boy things, right? He played a little football. He, you know, did his homework mostly. He liked to hang out with his friends and fish and hunt, but he really liked to party with his friends. When he grew up and got married, he had some kids, and as an adult, he had you know several jobs, and his career was on a trajectory. And when he got married, you know he lived an average life. Troy was a hard worker, and he was a very likable guy. In fact, everybody that met him loved him. He was funny, charismatic, kind of a lot of fun to be around, always active always willing to help. Troy worked long hours and he lived like so many of us for the weekends. And he loved to hang out and party. He loved to to be with his friends and to drink. And he loved to drink a lot. But as time went on, the drinking became more of a habit and went from something that he wanted to do to something that he needed to do. And then it was through his partying life that he made new friends. And one particular new friend introduced him to a brand new obsession, methamphetamines. And soon his life began to change. His behavior became more and more erratic and he began to struggle in everyday life, just in the normal things. He struggled in relationships, he struggled at work. And it wasn't long before his wife was fed up and left him. And he began to have trouble at work and he became more and more undependable people just that that, that loved him just they just couldn't tolerate his bad habits anymore at work and within a short amount of time Troy went from a guy that everybody loved to the guy that everybody just avoided and despised and because his addiction consumed his entire life it started destroying all of his relationships even with his parents his parents had basically gotten to the point that they had to cut him off they, there was no more money. There was no more support. No, you couldn't, you can't live here anymore. Right? And so he was really on his own. 
And because of the consequences of his actions, Troy found himself homeless, uh, sleeping on other people's couches, and he, he lost his, his vehicle and not having a ride. He had to ride around on a, on a beat-up old bicycle. And the only kind of work that he could get to, to make enough money to survive day-to-day was just working odd jobs for contractors who were taking advantage of him and paying him very little under the table. And what was worse is he was about to lose custody of his daughter, the daughter that he'd been raising since she was very young because her mom really wasn't in the picture. And in addition to that, the drugs not only took a toll on his personal life, but they took a, were taking a toll on his body. He looked like walking death. He was, he was like five foot eight, and he was weighing in probably 100, maybe 110 pounds. And you can begin to see the features of his skull under his skin. And his body was covered with those telltale sores that so many that are addicted to meth end up with. And again, nobody wanted to be around him and fewer people were there to help him. Troy's world was collapsing in on itself and it seemed that he would either soon be in prison or the grave. And so he was truly hopeless. hopeless. And, and I mentioned Troy's story because it's a picture really of the world that we're born into. A world of regular people who live regular lives, who do regular things, but at some point experience deep brokenness. People who fall into deep, deep heart-wrenching brokenness. Right? Because the fact is we live in a world that was created by God and is still full of opportunity and wonder and beauty, but at the same time the world is broken because of our sin. We might be normal people who have normal lives. We might be people who, who were created in the image of God, but we are all still fallen, broken people living in a fallen, broken world. And we know it. We can see it. Now, not everyone that we know has a dramatic story as Troy's, but all of us in our own way have experienced deep brokenness in our own lives. You yourself have experienced brokenness. I don't have to tell you that. Your mom and dad have experienced brokenness. Your, your grandparents have experienced brokenness. Your children, if they haven't yet, will experience brokenness. Your neighbors, your coworkers, the strangers on the street, everyone who draws a breath has experienced deep pain and brokenness. Everybody's lived through unimaginable circumstances. And some of that pain is self-inflicted because, because some people make choices that lead them there. Sometimes we give in to temptation that causes that pain. But, but some of it is at the hands of other people. Sometimes our brokenness isn't even our fault. It just happened to us. Whether it's our circumstances or what somebody did, right? whether it's an accident or whether it's on purpose or natural disasters, but accidental or self-inflicted, the fact is we all, every one of us, experience brokenness because of sin. It's a universal truth. This is a truth that you can take to the bank. I don't care who you see, who's having the best life that you can imagine. A person who's the most successful person that you, that you can see. Somebody's a celebrity that's popular. I'm going to tell you, underneath it all, there is still brokenness and pain. It's no one's immune, and it's all around us. 
It's right here in our community. You can see it in the community. You can see the devastating effects of addiction all around us. It is pervasive and ubiquitous. You can see the effects of divorce and infidelity. You can see the effects of violence and even greed. You can see the effects of laziness and apathy. You can see the effects of child neglect and even child abuse here. And you can see all of the effects of rebellion against God. But the problem is, for many of us, it's very easy in our day-to-day lives to insulate ourselves from these things, at least to a certain degree. It's easy for us to live our lives as normal people with normal responsibilities and normal routines. I mean, we do have our own problems for sure, but at least we're not like those people. How many times have we thought that or said that? At least I'm not an addict like him. At least I'm not a sexual deviant like her. At least I'm not irresponsible and lazy like those people. At least, at least I'm not a, a thug and violent like, like that guy. At least I'm not right, like them. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have, I don't always have my hand out, right? At least I take care of my kids. At least, you know, I'm not, and we, we, can, we can have a big long list, just fill in the blank. Right? We compare ourselves to the rest of the world. At least I'm not like them. It's easy for us to see that much of the brokenness that's in their lives is a them thing. It's easy for us to look at people like Troy and think, well, that's what happens, right? That's what happens when you mess with drugs. That's what happens when you party too much. That's what happens when you allow yourself to fall into addiction. That's what happens when you make those kinds of choices. And on some level, it is true. It is true, right? What happens when... When you make bad mistakes, bad consequences follow. I mean, we, we say, wait, play stupid games, win stupid prizes, right? But does that really mean that makes them that much different than the rest of us? Not to mention there's lots of others around, out there, around us, who are in the situations they're in because of somebody else's bad choices. They're there where they are because they just fell into bad circumstances. Just stuff happened that was beyond their control. And their brokenness and desperation isn't something because of what they did or the choices they made. It just happened. But it's easy for us to insulate ourselves from that too because we're so busy. We all tell ourselves anyway, right? We're just so busy, right? And the problem is so big and, and, and we just have such little resources to offer. In fact, it's, it's not even my problem. I mean, it's heart-wrenching to know that those kids are living what they're living through, but it's not my problem. I don't have time for this. I don't have money to help with that. I don't, I don't have the emotional energy to invest in that. Not my circus, not my monkeys, right? I have my own problems. I have my own concerns. I don't, I don't want to deal with that. Not to mention, whatever I do, I really... It's not going to help anyway. It's, it's hopeless. It's pointless. But here's the thing. As we've been talking about in this series, Jesus came in the world came into the world on a mission. He came into the world to do what? To save sinners. He came to save them from the penalty of their sin. He came to save them from the power of sin in their lives. And he came so that one day they could be saved from the presence and the effects of sin ultimately. That's what he came to do. 
He came to rescue sinners. And in part one of this series, we made it clear that that's the mission that all of us are called to. All of us. You were saved to participate in the mission of Christ. And we do that, as we talked about right, in part two, by making disciples. Jesus calls us to make disciples of everyone, which means we're to share the hope of Christ. We're to help people get plugged into the body of believers. And we're to help teach them to follow Jesus by making more disciples. That is our part in the mission of Christ. And last week, we talked about the fact that God has uniquely equipped us for that task. God has made you into what you need to be in order to accomplish that mission. When you put your trust in Christ, you are supernaturally transformed into something new. Salvation is the supernatural, radical work of God transforming your very nature. As we're told, the Bible tells us that you become a new creation. And Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, which means you are not like the rest of the world anymore. Because you have been radically changed. And it also means if you are in Christ, you are exactly what the world needs. You might not feel like it. But you are exactly what the world around you needs. You... The world needs the preserving influence of Christ in you. The world needs the light of Christ to shine through you. Which means if you're a believer in Jesus, then every interaction that you have with another human being is an opportunity for them to experience Christ through you. Because as salt and light, you are Christ's representative everywhere you go. God has called you to this mission. He's equipped you to accomplish this mission. Now, if you've missed any part of this series to this point so far, today's going to seem like I'm going to go really fast. And there might be questions you have, and I encourage you to go back and listen to the parts of this series that you've missed. And you can do that by either going to our YouTube page or YouTube channel or our SoundCloud page. The, the addresses are in the bulletin, and you can pick up the, the, the parts that you've missed. And I encourage you to listen because, because it'll help you with your understanding of what we're talking about here today. And the mission that we're going to focus on for the next few months. But the fact is, Jesus came to save sinners, and, we, and you were called to help in that effort of making disciples, and God has uniquely equipped you and transformed you in what you need to be in order to fulfill that mission. But what in the world does all that have to do with Troy? <laughs> well, there are two questions that we've not yet addressed to this point about being on mission in Christ. Number one, where does this mission take place? And number two, how do I actually accomplish this mission in my own life? I mean, we know what the mission is and we know what our part is, but where is the mission taking place and how do I accomplish it? Well, today we're going to begin to answer these questions. And as we do, you'll begin to see how all these pieces will fit together. Just hang with me and you'll even see how it relates to Troy as well. So turn with me to Matthew chapter four. And if you're, as you were aware, we talked about last week, the book of Matthew was written to make clear that the, that to the world, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the King. Right? And in chapter 5, Jesus begins to preach the Sermon on the Mount where he tells his followers that life in the kingdom of God is radically different than the rest of the world. But here in chapter 4, Matthew talks about the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the very beginning of when Jesus becomes known 
This is right after his temptation, his baptism. And Matthew tells us, from that time, Jesus began preaching, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then shortly after that, Jesus calls his first disciples. And then in verse 32, it reads, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And what I want you to notice in this text is that from the very beginning of his earthly ministry, Jesus does two things, two important things. Again, I want you to look again at verse 23. She is not bothering me. I want you to know. It's okay. Okay. (laughs) Hmm. So look again at verse 23. Matthew says, and he went through out all Galilee, teaching in their synagogue and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. In this text, we see Jesus' method of reaching the lost. And this method is twofold. Number one, he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. And number two, he healed people of their afflictions and diseases. Or in other words, he met people's needs. That is what Jesus did. He proclaimed the goodness of the gospel of the kingdom of God and he met people's physical needs. He healed diseases and afflictions. He cast out demons and he eased their pain. And this is important for us to understand because Jesus didn't just go out proclaiming his message. He didn't just come to earth simply to declare, thus saith the Lord, which he could have done. By all authority, that's what he could have done. But instead he did something more. Not only did he preach the gospel, but he met people where they were in their pain and in their misery. And and notice he did something about their pain and misery. He healed them. He reached out to them. He met their physical needs. Now, by the same token, Jesus didn't come simply to heal people and send them away like a supernatural doctor. Here, take two of these and call me in the morning. That's not what he did. Not only did he heal them, not only did he meet their needs, he also proclaimed the truth of the gospel. He told them about the kingdom of heaven. In fact, he told them, right, what we tell people still today, repent and believe the gospel. Turn from your sins and turn towards God and believe and be saved. That was his message. Jesus did both of these things. He proclaimed the gospel and ministered to their needs. That is how he reached those around him. And as his followers, that's the pattern that was set for us. We are to be like him and proclaim the gospel and to also meet people's needs. Now, sometimes people will push back and think, well, wait a minute. Jesus, what he was doing is he was doing miracles. He was doing supernatural acts. I mean, these are things we can't do, which is true. We can't, right? But not to mention the reason why Jesus did miracles was, was not simply to heal people, but demonstrate and, and establish his power, which is also true. But here's the thing we need to realize is Jesus, he didn't do miracles for miracles' sake. He didn't do miracles just because he wanted to do miracles. I mean, if that was the case, he could have just said earthquake, and there could have been an earthquake. He could have demonstrated his sovereign power of creation that way. He could have just waved his hand and turned the sun purple. Everybody would have believed right? He could have, you know, magically just caused the Roman army to disappear. 
solving all the political problems of the nation of Israel. He could have done that. He's God in the flesh. But the vast majority of the miracles that he did beyond the resurrection and walking on water, those miracles were done to meet someone's immediate physical needs. He turned water into wine. Why? Have you ever thought about that? Why is that the first miracle? He was at a wedding ceremony that they ran out of wine. And the master of the ceremony was about to be made really, really foolish. And his family asked him, would you help? He calmed the storm. Why? The storm threatened the lives of his disciples. Jesus healed people of illnesses. He cured them of blindness and deafness. He healed twisted and lame limbs. He helped a mute person to speak. He helped paralytic people walk again. He cured all kinds of diseases like leprosy. People that no one else would even approach or talk to or touch. He even brought some people back from the dead. And each one of those situations, Jesus' divine power was on display for sure. But it was also somebody who was in desperate need. And Jesus had compassion on them and met their need. And what you and I need to understand is though we may not be able to do these miracles, we can still help. We absolutely can and should work to meet other people's needs. We should work to connect with people in their brokenness. right? And though we might not solve every problem that's presented to us, we can still love them. We can still minister to them. We can still at least be there. By the way, probably one of the most important things that you'll ever do in your life anyway. It's easy to go spend money on stuff. It's a lot harder to just be there and sit in silence with someone who's grieving. It's a lot harder to just sit there and just put your arm around somebody when you don't understand and they don't understand, but just to be there. We can at least do that. We can be the shoulder to cry on. We can show people that they're not forgotten. We can show people that they are not alone. We live in a world that's connected in a lot of different ways. And one of the greatest problems that faces the world around us is people feel disconnected and alone. People feel that all the time. When things are good, everybody loves them. But then when things are hard, everybody avoids them. We can help them to know that they're not alone. We can at least show them that we love them which is really the motivation behind Jesus' miracles in the first place, which was to demonstrate the love of God. Because, Because the message that Jesus was bringing is what? The message is you were dead in your sins and you can't fix it, and you were hopeless. But what? What are those words? God so loved the world. That's the message, right? That's the gospel. You were born a sinner. And you rebel against God by your nature and by your own will and choice. And because of that, because of your sin, you will one day face God and you will experience His awful and terrible judgment. And there's not anything that you on your own can do to fix it. You can't do enough good deeds. You can't be kind enough, compassionate enough, feed enough homeless people, rescue enough puppies. You cannot do anything to avail yourself and remove your own sin. 
You were hopeless, an enemy of God, and the wrath of God abides on you. That is the bad news. But God gives us the good news. The good news is God so loved the world. God loved you so much that he sent his only son into the world and that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have. What is the promise? But have. The moment they believe, eternal life. That's the gospel. And as evidence of God's love, the Father sent Jesus to proclaim this good news and to minister to and to meet the needs of other people. Hear me. The miracles were part of the message. The ministry of mercy and the preaching of the gospel were declaring the same exact message. The message is God loves you, so repent and believe the gospel and be saved. I want you to notice in verse 24, it says, So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pain, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics. And he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. And the thing I want you to see and understand and embrace is the fact that Jesus did both of these things, proclaiming the gospel and meeting the needs of other people everywhere he went. In Jerusalem, in Galilee, in the Decapolis, which is an area known of the Ten Cities. That's a pretty widespread area. He met people's needs and he proclaimed the gospel everywhere he went. And what that tells us is this. This is how it's supposed to be for us. As we had said before, the, the short answer to the where question, where are we supposed to be on mission? Everywhere. Everywhere. Right? You're to do your part for the cause of Christ. You were to fulfill your duty to make disciples everywhere you go. That means at home. That means in your neighborhood. That means at work, in the grocery store at Lancaster. Because you just about have to go to Lancaster to do all your major shopping anyway. Or, or Los Angeles, the big city. Right? You're on mission when you're at work, when you go down to the little league field, when you're watching youth football, when you're on vacation. Everywhere you go is an opportunity to help meet the needs of other people and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you might say, well, wait a minute, I thought... Jesus wanted me, us to make disciples all over the world. I thought it was about global missions. That's where people think when they think about being a missionary. And you are right, right? Part of the, the mandate is a global mission. We are all called to participate on some level, and we're going to talk about that next week. But, but here and now, right, what we can learn from Jesus is that he preached the gospel and he met people's needs everywhere he went. And I also want you to notice that he did this for every class of person he encountered, regardless of who they were. Because it's easy to love people that are lovable, right? Jesus did this for Jews and Gentiles alike. He did this for the powerful and also the powerless. There's two different types of snobs in Christianity. Those who look down on the powerless is unredeemable and those who look at the powerful is unredeemable in fact there are some churches will have a homeless person walk in here and will immediately love on them but then somebody like bill gates walks in here they're like what's he doing here right 
where they would think that he's beyond redemption. Jesus did this for the powerful and the powerless. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus healed the Roman centurion, his, the, the centurion's servant, because the centurion asked him, a powerful man. And then in chapter 9, he heals a poor woman who had nothing. Jesus healed the rich and the poor. He healed people with influence and those who had no influence. Jesus ministered to everyone. And as he did, he did so both by declaring the gospel and ministering to them in their needs for everyone. Including, by the way, those who appreciated what he was doing and those who didn't. In Luke chapter 17, we read the story of how Jesus heals his ten lepers. Jesus heals 10 of them, right? They cry out to him and he says, go, show yourselves to the priests. And they were cleansed. In verse 15, it says, one of them, when they saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all 10 of you cleansed? Where's the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And they said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, here in this, here's the thing that we need to see about this story. Right? Only one man came back to thank God, you know, thank Jesus for healing him. Now, the reason why this is important is because, let's face it, sometimes loving on people and trying to meet people's needs can be really, really hard. Sometimes we reach out to love someone who, that we, you know, and, and care for them and help them, only for them to be ungrateful for that help. I mean, I mean we, we've been there, right? We have all been there, right? We've, we've reached out, we've tried to help them, not even a thank you. Even worse, we've had those people who are demanding of even more, right? Or, or they take your mercy and, you know, and your generosity and use it against you somehow. I think we've had that happen too, right? Have it turned around on us. We've all tried to help someone who really didn't want to be helped. Right? We've all tried to help someone who simply was just, was just taking and taking and taking and taking without ever giving back. Right? We all know people that, that we work to help that just simply refuse to get better. They refuse to get off the drugs. They just refuse to get a job. They refuse to do right by their family. They just expect for people to continue to pick up the pieces of their lives and take care of them. And this kind of thing begins to wear us down and makes us jaded at times to the point where we just give up and say, it's not worth it. People just don't appreciate what you do for them. We've all said those words, I think. Why should they continue to minister to other people when they just don't appreciate it? They just don't care. But Jesus did exactly that. He helped people that were not grateful. He healed people who never came to faith in him. He helped people who, who didn't say thank you. He, he helped people who would never acknowledge him as the king. He even helped those who were not obedient to him. Over and over again, Jesus would heal someone. And what would he say? Now, keep this quiet. Don't go tell people that I did this for you. And what would they do? They'd go out and tell everybody. And the thing that we need to realize is Jesus, being God in the flesh, knew when he said, don't tell them that they were going to do it anyway, and he still healed them. And even more than that, Jesus ministered and loved on his own enemy. 
The night before Jesus died, he did something that shocked all of the disciples. During supper, he got up and put a towel around himself, got down on his knees, and he washed their feet. And for those of us who are Americans, we go, okay, what's the big deal? The thing that we have to realize is that was a job that was not fit for a king. It was fit for the lowliest of low servants. People walked everywhere they went, and their feet got nasty. And when they stopped by someone's house... Part of the customary way that you treated your guests is you had your servant wash their feet. Foot washing was the job reserved for the least important person in the household. Servants were like, no, 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 no. I shovel the camel stuff. You wash feet. But that's exactly what Jesus does. He gets down on his knees and he washes the feet of his followers in an act of humble, gracious service. Right, And he says that we should do the same, meaning that we should be willing to serve one another. And he did that for them, including Judas. It's a part that's overlooked so often that Jesus washed Judas's feet. Jesus knew that he was going to be betrayed by him, and he still washed his feet in an act of humble service. Let that sink in. Jesus was willing to demonstrate love for and serve the very one who would bring about his death. That is an idea that just does not want to fit in here. The one who would betray him, the one who would, who would call him rabbi and then kiss him on the cheek the moment he was going to be arrested. Jesus served even his enemy. And you know, he preached the gospel to him. You know that he heard the gospel from Jesus over and over and over again, but Judas's heart was hardened and still betrayed him. And this is important because sometimes we get frustrated. We're going to get frustrated and we, because, and we, and we don't want to help others because it just seems like it's not making a difference. I'm going to tell you, ministry and life and helping other people, there are going to be those moments where you're going to feel like, I'm just butting my head against the wall. Sometimes we share the hope of Christ with people and we minister to people and we meet needs and it seems fruitless. It seems like their hearts are still hard. In fact, in the past, some people, you know, have even like wondered, why do we do what we do with our food pantry? Why? We're just feeding people who are ungrateful. Because our food pantry gives out food all the time. In fact, Matt and Aaron have been running that for several years. And they continually meet people's needs through the pantry. They have the little booth out front. They keep that thing stocked up. And when that's empty, they keep filling it up. And then when, they, when people say, hey, I need something more, they go out of their own time, pack up food and take it and deliver it to people. We help a lot of people throughout this community. And the need continues to rise. Right? And our mission right, with the food pantry has just been twofold. We want to make sure that hungry people get fed. And we want to make sure that they hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why we operate the pantry, right? And it doesn't matter who they are. If you're hungry, we're going to feed you. If we have the resources, we're going to do it. And it doesn't matter, right? Whether you go to church here or not, we're going to feed you. Whether you are working or not, if you say you're hungry, we're going to take you at your word. If you're hungry, we're going to feed you. And, and we're going to feed you. And we're going to tell you about the love of Christ. That's what we do with the pantry ministry. And the truth is, most people who get the food from us still have not set foot in church. 
And yes, there are probably people who lie, who really don't need food. And there's probably some people who take advantage of us. And there are probably people who will spend their money on drugs and alcohol and then come to us for food because they don't have any, any money left over. And there are certainly those who don't say thank you. Or, that's it? And there are those who get resentful when we won't give them more. And there are those who get upset when we won't immediately just drop what we're doing and deliver food to their house. And who, like, write nasty Facebook posts about the whole church because of it. True story. But hear me. We don't do what we do with the food pantry for people to say thank you. I mean, it's nice. That's not why, that's not why we do it. We don't do what we do so that people like us and think, oh, they're just such great people, right? If that's why we're doing what we're doing, then we just we might as well turn this into some other organization than, than, a, than a Christian organization because it's not about us. And we're not doing this to make sure, what we're doing is we're, we're doing, we're not doing this to make sure that only the truly needy people who show us their taxes and their income statements, you know, they can go to the government for that. We're doing this because we want to proclaim the gospel and help meet people's needs. We're doing this to talk about and demonstrate in a very real, tangible way, the love of God. We're doing this to be like Jesus. Because Jesus lived a life of both show and tell. He talked about the love of God and he demonstrated the love of God. That's how he reached people. He both told them and showed them that God loved them. He proclaimed the gospel and he loved them and served them and had mercy on them right where they were. And his ministry appealed to all kinds of people. Jesus' ministry was twofold. It was a gospel preaching ministry and a ministry of mercy. He proclaimed the truth and he lived the truth out. He declared the love and mercy of God and he demonstrated the love and mercy of God. And if, and, and if we're going to be effective as a church reaching the lost, if we're going to fulfill the mission that we're called to and do our parts, we need to do both as well. Because here's the truth. Ministry without the gospel is an absolute waste of time. Missions of mercy and meeting people's needs and loving them where they are without the gospel, though it may be good in a humanitarian sense, ultimately is a catastrophic waste of time. Long term. Because it doesn't matter if you feed their bellies and it doesn't matter if you make them feel accepted and loved and it doesn't matter if you help them to overcome their addiction and it doesn't matter if you give them a safe place to sleep that night. Though all of those things are good and important in the long term, without the gospel, it will not matter. Because in the big picture, all of that will be for nothing. And when they stand before God in their sin without knowing Christ. If they stand before God and his holy, righteous wrath abides on them, all that you have done for them and all that they have accomplished in their lives and the good feelings they might have experienced in their life will amount to nothing in that moment because no matter how good their life may have been, they will stand before God and they will be found guilty of their sins and the wrath of God will be poured out on them. That's an immutable truth that we cannot get away from. 
This is why our theology matters. This is why we have to come back to the foundational truth that the greatest problem that a person will face in their life is not hunger. It is not addiction. It is not loneliness. It is not the lack of money. The greatest problem that any human will will face is not rejection or the fact that nobody will affirm them. The greatest problem is not the fact that they were abused as a child and they struggled to build meaningful relationships. Their greatest problem is not a lack of social skills. The greatest problem is not they are misunderstood by everyone around them. Their greatest problem, like every other human being, is the fact that they are sinners and that one day when they die, they will face a holy, righteous, and just God who will rightly demand justice be done. And they will stand covered in their sins with no words to defend themselves. And they will have to agree, I am guilty. And when they look up upon a righteous and holy God, they will know what they deserve. And there will be no hope for them. The only hope for them is to hear the gospel, repent and believe the truth about Christ. Their only hope is to trust in Jesus who died on the cross to pay the penalty for their sins, who lived a perfect life in order to give them the righteousness they need so they can stand before God without shame. That is their only hope. Because those who trust in Christ have been forgiven. They have been acquitted. They have been justified. And when they meet God face to face, rather than experiencing wrath and judgment, they will be welcomed home like family. Jesus died to give them that hope. Yes, God is a God of wrath and justice, but he's also a God of love and grace. And he made a way for people to be saved. He made a way to solve their greatest problem. And it is our obligation to share that with them. In fact, I don't want to be overdramatic here, please, but hear me. Loving people and meeting their physical needs without telling them about the hope of Christ is in some sense an injustice. It's scandalous because all we're doing is perpetuating a false hope. Missions of mercy without the gospel are ultimately a waste of time. But but understand, by the same token, ministry without mercy is a waste of breath. Telling people that, that about the love of Jesus without showing mercy to people is a waste of breath. Because people don't know how much you care until they... Until they, people don't care about what you know until they know what you, how much you care. Telling people that because a person that's starving to death, a person whose hung, hunger is so bad they can't think, isn't thinking in that moment that they need Jesus. A person who feels rejected by the world isn't going to warm up to someone preaching at them, telling them they just need to repent. The fact of the matter is that most people in our culture and our country have heard that before. Right. I remember reading a story um, in a book by Philip uh, Yancey. And uh, he was talking about this lady who had been through so much. Uh, she was uh, a prostitute and just then she had a child. And because she was at the end of her career, so to speak, to make ends meet, she was using her child in a way that was inappropriate. And, 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 they, and people asked her, why didn't you come for help? She said, I don't know where to turn. And she's like, they were like, why didn't you go to the church? Oh, I could never go there and be judged by those people. Fact of the matter is, is people in our culture know that they need to turn 
right? They've all experienced well-meaning church people telling them, you just need Jesus, which is true. They do. But they've heard it before that Jesus loves them. They struggle to believe that fact because how can God love them if everyone, including God's people, reject them? This is why it's important to show them. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. When you meet people, you have the potential to demonstrate and introduce to them God through you. You have within you the ability to show them the love of God that you've been talking about. You have the ability to bring that love to life. You have the ability by your actions to demonstrate in a real world the love of God for them. And so we must tell them and show them. This is how it was for Troy. Troy desperately needed Jesus. But the people you know, hollering at him that he needed Jesus wasn't helping. Troy was at a place where he needed Jesus, but he was also at a place where he needed physical help too. He needed food. He needed a place to stay. He needed a place to take a shower. But most importantly, what he needed was just somebody to love him. Because he felt completely alone. He felt unwanted. He felt undeserving. Deeply ashamed of who he was and where he was. He felt completely hopeless. And so Troy reached out to his older brother, right? But he didn't, he wasn't reaching out for a lecture or a sermon. He was reaching out because he needed some, some money, right? He just needed a little bit more money to get by one more day. And so he mustered up the courage to call him, but all he got was a voicemail and he left a message. Now, on the other hand, um, Troy's brother was a fairly new Christian and he was excited about his faith. He was telling everybody about Jesus and he was excited to show the love of Christ to other people. In fact, one weekend, Troy's brother and his wife were on their way to Las Vegas for, for a convention for work. And it was the middle of the summertime when they went and, and they knew, right? Going up to 15, it's going to be hot. That means there are going to be people that are broke down on the side of the road, right? What a great opportunity to minister to people. So they bought like several gallons of water and then they wrote like scriptures on the water bottles. And as they, as they drove, they would find somebody who was broke down. They'd check, hey, are you okay? Yeah, everything's fine. Hey, here's some water. So that way, at least, you know, you, you have that until somebody can come help you, right? And people were appreciative of that. And, and they even changed, you know, attire for an elderly couple, right? And they were just so excited, right? It was just so exciting to, to share the love of Christ, and, and, and Troy's brother felt really, really good about himself. He's like, man, this is so awesome to, to be able to do something. But then when, when Troy calls, his brother's attitude changes. And he's like, gosh, this guy really upsets me. Every time Troy calls, all he wants is just money. He just always wants something from me. Right? And he began to feel kind of self-righteous because Troy was the family drug addict. Right? Troy was the no-good family member who made a, a shipwreck of his life. Troy was that person that everybody avoided because he was just hopeless. But then God, the Holy Spirit, pierced his heart and, and brought conviction because he was so willing to share the love of Christ with perfect strangers, but he wasn't willing to do the same for his own brother. And so he realized he needed to talk to him, and so he called Troy back, and Troy agreed to meet him for coffee so that they could sit down and talk. And as he prepared to, to talk with Troy, right, 
he was prepared to give him some food, right? He was going to give him some money. He was going to try to help him out and kind of ease his, his, his burden. But he knew that he needed to do more than just meet his physical need. He also needed to share the hope of Christ. And, 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 and the first one, it was easy, right? The f- giving a few bucks to pay someone's way for a day, that's easy, right? But, but as a new Christian, he wasn't sure what to say, and, and he wasn't even sure how he could even talk about the gospel. So he prayed about it, and he asked other people to pray with him, and then he went to meet Troy. And as I sat across the table from Troy, and I looked at him, not as the drug addict, not as my irresponsible brother, but as someone who was lost, broken, scared, my heart broke for him. Not only could I see the features of his skull under his skin, I could see the despair in his eyes. And I knew right then and there what Troy needed. Yes, Troy needed some money. He needed a place to sleep that night. He needed something to eat. But what he needed more than anything else was was someone to love him. To love him right where he was. To show him that there was a love that was real that surpasses understanding. That there was a love that's without limits. That there was a love that's abundant in grace. A love that's unmerited. And he needed to see that love, that, that the love of God is real. And so, in that moment, I put aside all my preconceived ideas about him, and I put away all the irritations that I had all the memories of the ways that he'd slighted me, put away that big brother judgment of him. And I just, I just loved him right where he was. And I just stopped and asked him, I said, how are you doing? How are things going in your world? And I just sat there and listened. And and he began to see that I really cared. And then he began to open up and he told me how things had been. And how he'd lost, how lost he felt and how he was scared of losing his daughter. And he just, couldn't see how there was any way out of where he was. And I sat there and I listened. And when he was done, I reached across the table. I touched him on the hand and I just, I said, I don't judge you. I love you. And I, and I told him, look me in the eyes. I want you to hear me, right? I love you, Troy, with all my heart. And I just, I just want what's best for you. And in those words, this hardened little brother of mine just kind of melted because he hadn't heard those words in a long time. And so the tears began to flow and I told him, you know, I want to help you and I can give you some money, you know, to help you out, but it doesn't have to be this way because God loves you and he wants to heal you and he wants to heal you like he healed me. And I took a moment to, to kind of walk him through what God had done in my own life and how God had changed me. And I began to share with him my testimony and suddenly scriptures started pouring out of me and the rest of the conversation was kind of a blur. But the next thing you know, we're in my car and we're listening to this preacher proclaim the gospel. This is before YouTube, by the way, where you can just say, what is the gospel and let somebody listen to it? You know, I had a CD, right? But we listen to this preacher proclaim the gospel and talking about trusting in Christ and how a person was to do that. And then this guy led a prayer and asked those who, who truly believed that they would you know, repent and believe and then just kind of repeat this prayer. And my brother sat there with tears streaming down his eyes 
sobbing to the point that he could barely even breathe. But he heard the gospel and believed, and he repeated these words. And I want you to understand, I don't believe in a believer's prayer, right? I, I, I don't believe that you pray some magical prayer, then you're saved. But I do think that when, when, you, are, when you have met God, that praying to him to rescue you is a health, helpful thing. So I kind of include that here. And he said, Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I'm a broken sinner. I've sinned against you and I have sinned against my fellow man. And because of my sin, I deserve to be sent to hell. I deserve your wrath and your, and your anger. I deserve your justice. And I admit that I can't fix it. I can't make it right no matter how hard I try. Lord, I'm totally helpless. But Lord, you have promised that you love me. And that you said that you love me so much that you sent your son to die for me. And your word says, if I will repent and believe in your son, that you would save me. Lord, I repent. I turn from my sins. And I declare right now that Jesus is my Lord. I believe that he lived the perfect life for me, that he died on the cross for me, and that you rose him from the grave, proving that I can trust him to save me. And yes, Lord, I believe. Send your Holy Spirit into my heart to confirm for me that you've rescued me and helped me to follow Jesus all the days of my life. For he is the Lord and he is my Savior. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for Jesus Christ who died to save me. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. And after that, after he said amen, we sat there for a moment. And I wasn't really sure what to say next. Because I'd never really kind of like shared the gospel before and never had somebody come to the place where they said they want to make a decision to follow Jesus. All I can remember was thinking, I hope this, this really, he meant this. That this wasn't simply just an emotional confession, you know, that he made to just make himself feel better, to assuage his guilt or, or try to manipulate me into giving him more money, you know. But then I invited him to come home to stay with us the night and, and you know, in our, in, in our family and so that he could take a shower and that way he didn't have to worry about where he's going to spend the night and, you know, where he's going to get his next meal. And, and Kim and I both were, we were anxious. I just want you to understand, like, like my brother at this point was, was not somebody that I knew hardly anymore. He was a drug addict. And so we weren't really sure how everything was going to work out, but we just walked in faith. But that night, something in Troy changed. It was a radical transformation I mean, he was a drug addict one moment, and he was, he was clean the next. I can't explain it. I've, I've seen people struggle with that addiction for years, and I've seen some people like my brother who just, it just God changed them. And, and he went from being completely hopeless to someone that had a brand new lease on life. In fact, one time he wanted to be in, in, in church so bad that one Wednesday night we lived like six blocks from a church, we couldn't go because we, you know, we were we had you know work obligations. But uh, he wanted to go so bad he rode his busted up bike down there. And when he came home, he was beat up. I'm like, what happened? He goes, man, I was trying to get to church and got to the railroad tracks and I popped a wheelie and the wheel fell off and the forks dug in and then went end over end. I said, what happened? He goes, I got up and went to church. <laughs> he he fell in love with the Word of God. He got plugged into church and the next thing you know. You know, 
his just whole bearing changed and he had a steady job. He finally got himself some transportation and then just little by little, you could just see this transformation in his life. He had a place of his own. He was able to maintain custody of his daughter, who, by the way, is a, a wonderful young lady is living her dreams uh, in North Carolina. She uh, works for a, a zoo. That's what she's wanted to do since she was a little kid, but that's a different story. But his entire life turned around when he put his hope in Christ. And so 17 years later, Troy got, you know, he's married and all of his kids are grown up and um, doing well. And he's extremely successful and he still serves the Lord. But 20, 17 years ago, Troy was either headed to prison or the morgue. But he turned to Christ in faith and it changed everything for him. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a power to save all those who believe. Right. That power changed him forever. Troy heard the gospel and he repented and believed. But before he could hear me talk about the love of God, before he would even hear me talk about the love of God, he needed me, he needed to see the love of God. And that's what you and I are called to. You and I are called to meet people where they are in their pain, in their circumstances, in their misery, in their struggles. And we need to do both. We need to talk about and demonstrate God's love just like Jesus. We're to minister to people and meet their needs and we're to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're to do that everywhere we go with every kind of person, regardless of who they are. This is what we're called to. We are all called to do this in our homes, in our neighborhoods, at work or at school, in our community, literally everywhere you go. You and I are to let our light shine were to demonstrate and to proclaim the vast, endless love of God. And here's the thing. You don't have to go very far to do this. You right now are surrounded by people in your life that are broken, lost, and hurting in their own way. People who are desperately needing to be loved. People who desperately need hope. People who are so desperately needing to hear and see that there is a God in heaven who loves them. A God that crushed his own son to save them. You are the light that can bring that to them. You are the salt that can make that real for them. The only questions left are, will you? Are you all in or are you not? You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.